Daniel 9, 1-19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole of heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us Yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring this the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, our Lord, our, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and iniquities and the iniquities of of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. 
O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Uh, Brothers and sisters, this morning I want to talk to you about prayer and uh, particularly about uh, our own personal uh, prayer lives because uh, if you're uh, fairly normal as a Christian, uh, my guess is that uh, you, would be exp- you would experience ups and downs uh, in your uh, prayer life. Is that true? Uh, there are times when we uh, can be very fervent uh, in our personal times of prayer, uh, there are other times when our personal times of prayer uh, can seem rather weak and uh, and sometimes dry as well. And so, although we uh, we will come to church and uh, go to Bible study group where we will be praying uh, with each other, as uh, we've already done so today, uh, even though we pray corporately, sometimes. Our personal times of prayer can be can be few and far between, and uh, sometimes they may not actually be very deep as well. Uh, I'm sure that uh, this is a topic which um, uh, to, we need to talk about because uh, when we raise the, the topic publicly, you find out that hey, you're not the only one who is in that particular boat. Because uh, for some of us. Um, uh, a regular time of personal prayer may not actually even be as yet a part of our Christian lives, uh, particularly if we're a, a young person or if we're a person who is new to Christian faith uh, or maybe we've, uh, we've actually let that area of our life just slip away. Uh, it may also be that we uh, have uh, not been in a church where the importance of personal times of prayer has been taught and so no one's actually ever taught that to us. So the question I want to ask you then is what are the things which stand between you and having a healthy personal prayer life? What are the things that, uh, what are the obstacles that you face uh, in terms of achieving that? I I suggest that um, for many of us we would have to say that the sheer busyness of uh, modern life and the complexity of life uh, uh, is working against us, isn't it? Uh, for working families uh, where you're, uh, uh, you, you've got responsibilities in your job which can be sometimes quite demanding, uh, responsibilities with your, uh, your children, the, whole, the, the plethora of activities that we're involved in in life can mean that... Uh, uh, can mitigate against us being people who have a regular time of reading the Bible and praying to God. Prayer can easily slip away. Uh, it can be hard to kind of squeeze into the schedule. Maybe one of the other issues as well is that sometimes we struggle to, to know what uh, we should be praying for. How, how do we pray? What, are the, what should be the content of our prayers? Now, uh, if the complexity of life um, makes it hard for us to pray, then this morning what I want us to do is to think about Daniel, uh, this man Daniel who we've been learning about over the last couple of months. Uh, Daniel, of course, uh, was a very busy man. Um, he was a man who occupied a very high position in Babylon. 
uh, under its various emperors, including the, the, uh, the Persian and the Mede emperors as well. And we would have to say that uh, life was complex uh, for Daniel. Uh, he shouldered a weight of responsibility that none of us here shoulder. And there might be a few Sunday school kids next door who in the future might shoulder similar responsibilities. We don't know what God's got in plan in his plan for them. But we do not shoulder the same kind of responsibilities that Daniel shouldered. And he also lived in Babylon, uh, where uh, from time to time the people of God were persecuted for the very fact that they were the people of God. Uh, we learnt in, in uh, chapter 6 that uh, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because he prayed. And because when he prayed, he prayed to the true God. And so I, I think if, we were, if Daniel was to be able to speak to us and Daniel was to say, look, um, you know, my personal times of prayer, um, it's a bit hard for me. You realise I'm the you know, third most senior person in the empire and I've got all of the pressures and the weight of responsibility, uh, I just haven't been able to squeeze it into my timetable. Or he might say, you know, it's all right for you guys living in 21st century of Australia where you've got freedom, but, you know, when I prayed, I got tossed into the lion's den. You know, it's a, it's a bit more difficult. And if Daniel was to speak to us and to say these things to us, we might be tempted to say, well, yeah, we kind of sympathise there, Daniel, we understand. And, uh, uh, we don't expect you to be a man of prayer. But friends, <clears throat> Daniel was, in fact, a man of prayer. And, and if you uh, uh, turn to Daniel chapter 9, the first 19 verses that we're looking at this morning, uh, we see here that uh, whereas in chapter 6 we, we, we caught a glimpse of his prayer life in terms of uh, knowing that he prayed three times a day from his upper room, pointing towards Jerusalem, here in chapter 9 we get a glimpse into the actual content of Daniel's prayer because what we have here is one of Daniel's prayers. And uh, it seems to me that as we uh, study Daniel's prayer that it ought to actually help us. God has put it here for a reason and it ought to help us to be or to continue to be or to become men and women of prayer. Now, before we get into the prayer, I want to ask this question of what inspired Daniel to pray on this particular occasion. And it's pretty simple, really. The answer is that Daniel had been reading God's word. Um, have a look at uh, the first couple of verses. <clears throat> in verse 1, he says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to the prophet Jeremiah, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, as we've been reading through the book of Daniel, you could be forgiven for thinking that uh, the normal way that God communicated with his people during the exile was through you know, scary dreams and visions because we've seen a few of those, haven't we? It was interesting last week with my Sunday school class. We were looking at Daniel and uh, we were looking at one of his dreams and as a bit of a leading question, I said to the kids, have you ever had a dream that's been scary? 
And they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, tell us about it. And they'll say, oh, there was these monsters that were chasing me and there was these scary things and there was these giants and these really... And by the end of it, I was thinking, man, these kids' dreams are scarier than Daniel's. <laughs> I make Daniel's look rather tame. But uh, Daniel, the, the normal way that God communicated with his people during the time of exile, as it is today, was not through dreams. They were the exception... It was through the word of God, through the scriptures, through the Bible, through the law and the prophets. And that's the bread and butter way that God reveals himself to people. Daniel studied the prophet Jeremiah. And as he, dis- as he studied the book of Jeremiah, <clears throat> he discovered a promise from God which had a very, very direct application to him and his people in exactly the situation where they were at. <clears throat> I wonder if you'll uh, put a bulletin or something in, uh, Jer- in Daniel chapter 9 and come with me back to Jeremiah chapter 29, which you'll find on page 558. <clears throat> there are a couple of uh, sections of Jeremiah that uh, make this same promise. But we'll just have a look at Jeremiah 29. Let me read to you from verses 10 to verse 14. Verse 10, this is page 558. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carry you into exile. Now, what is the... uh, promise that uh, God has made there. It's a promise about the ending of the exile, isn't it? How long was the exile going to last for? How many years? Seventy years. And he'd said, said so similarly a, a few chapters beforehand. Right? It was going to be a 70-year exile. Now, can you imagine how excited Daniel felt when he read through Jeremiah the prophet and came across these verses. Can you imagine? Well, you see, by this stage of the game, Jeremiah was getting pretty old. We saw in that uh, first verse there that it was in the first year of the reign of Darius. Okay, So remember that um, you had Nebuchadnezzar, he was replaced by Belshazzar, who had his drunken feast and so on, and the Herds and Medes and the Persians walked in, took over the place, and uh, it was Darius who was appointed king at that time. He was the, one of the Medes. By this stage of the game, uh, Daniel is getting on in life. I mean, he's about close to retirement age, although you know he was actually given a better position. He's an old man, and he's lived in... Babylon since he was a young boy. So that means that uh, this 70 years, it's almost up. 
you know, it's, it's not, not all that far away. So that's exciting for him. Um, but in Jeremiah, <clears throat> God expected his people to seek him first and to pray to him before the exile would end. So that is exactly what Daniel did. Verse 3, if you go back to, Jer- uh, to Daniel 9, verse 3, he says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. You get the idea there? He's actually um, mourning over this. You, know, you, you, you wear sackcloth, you pour ashes over your head and you fast uh, when you're actually mourning over sin. And he got down on his knees and he prayed to God. So what inspired Daniel to pray? Well, he read the Bible, he saw the promise, and then he prayed. Sometimes, as I said earlier, our prayers can be rather dry because we can be short on ideas about what what to pray. Uh, I know for myself this is sometimes the case. In my own personal prayer times, I, I, I pray for good things. Um, as you would as well. Uh, in my own personal prayer times, I, I might thank God for the various uh, uh, blessings that he has given me. I certainly thank him for Jesus and for salvation. Um, I pray for various people. I pray for family members. I pray for congregation members. I pray for other people who I know. And uh, <clears throat> I might ask God to bless my day uh, with particular activities that I know that are before me. Uh, I will pray to God to help me to be more godly, uh, particularly in areas where I know that I'm really wrestling with in terms of my sinfulness and I need to change. And I ask God to change me in those areas. And that's all good. But the problem with it is that it depends on what I think would be good and what areas of my life that I think need to change. And the, the reality here is that my thoughts are not nearly as good as God's thoughts on those issues. And so a better approach, I think, is to, is to read through uh, a passage from the Bible. It doesn't have to be a long passage, but to then allow the, the truths, um, to allow the personal challenges and the promises of God that are contained in that particular passage to then inform and shape my prayers and then to pray also for the daily concerns. But by praying through scripture, uh, what we find is we find ourselves praying for things which we, by ourselves, would not necessarily have thought to pray for. Uh, Daniel wouldn't have thought to pray for the end of the 70 years unless he'd known the promise of God in respect to the 70 years. And it's as we pray through the scripture, as we pray through the promises and the thoughts of God, that we actually know that what we're praying is indeed the will of God, uh, that it's exactly what God wants us to be praying, and that God in his uh, sovereignty uses our prayers to bring into effect his plan and his purposes. It was God's will to end the exile. He said it was going to happen after 70 years. But he wanted his children to humble themselves, to seek after him, and to pray. Now, that's the background. That's the context. Let's now look at Daniel's prayer. And as we do so, be mindful that this very prayer 
uh, is in fact one of those passages from Scripture that uh, really ought to inform and to, sh and, and to shape the kinds of things that we pray for. Now, one of the um, interesting things I learned about this passage, I'm no Hebrew scholar, okay? I passed Hebrew uh, at Theological College. I got 51% in Hebrew, okay? Uh, I'm, you know, I don't know anything about Hebrew. I know that uh, parts of Daniel are written in Aramaic, uh, and most of it is written in Hebrew, or parts of it are written in Hebrew. Um, what the scholars say is that when you read through this prayer in Hebrew, that the the actual language, uh, the <clears throat> the words that are used <clears throat> and the grammar, is different to the way that the rest, the other parts of the Hebrew text of Daniel are written. Now, some of them, um, <clears throat> what they conclude is that this is not original. Um, they conclude that because the language is different, that uh, it really wasn't Daniel's prayer, and that uh, you know, centuries afterwards, someone else wrote it and decided to plonk it in, in there, and, uh, and so on. Now, I think they're wrong, by the way, and let me tell you why. What they fail to realise is that uh, we might expect the prayers of Daniel to be different because Daniel's mind was so soaked uh, in the scriptures, in the law and the prophets, that when he prayed, that the words of scripture just oozed out of him. Uh, they shaped his prayers. And uh, so it's not surprising the Hebrew that's used here is more akin to the type of Hebrew that we would see in the law and the prophets. Now there are three parts to this prayer. Firstly, in verses 4 through to 10, Daniel adores God and confesses sin. Have a look at it. Uh, verse 4. And, and, and look at the contrasts here. In verse 4 he says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have rebelled, we are wicked. Have a look at verse 7. He says, Lord, you are righteous, but we are covered with shame. Uh, verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving but we have rebelled against him. You see the contrast there, folks. God is great, God is awesome, God is faithful, God is righteous, God is merciful, God is forgiving. We have sinned, we have done wrong, we have turned our backs, we have not listened, we are shamed, we are rebellious. It is a stunning contrast that you cannot fail but to see. And what we see in addition to this is that as Daniel is caught up in prayer, that his first priority in prayer is to honour God for who he is and for how he has acted towards mankind, how his character has been displayed in his relationship with man. I wonder if sometimes our prayers might be superficial because we are more concerned about ourselves and our personal issues and we fail to 
uh, in our prayers reflect on how wonderful God actually is. Um, we, we forget that it, it gives God great honour and great pleasure uh, for, for us as his children to express that we understand and we appreciate him for who he is and what he is like. To, to give him his worth, to worship him uh, in our prayers. And of course, to be appreciative of what he has done for us. Now, of course, God wants to hear about our needs in, in our prayers. Uh, of course, he is our loving Heavenly Father who delights to hear his children speak to him about what is going on in their lives, as any father would love to and delight to hear from their children. But the point is that our prayer life can be much richer when we focus more on God than on ourselves. It's a question of balance. God is great, but man is sinful. Now, notice that uh, when uh, Daniel confesses sin, he doesn't talk about the sin of other people, does he? He's not like the... um, you know, the, remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I think it's in Luke's Gospel, uh, where the Pharisee is in the temple and he's praying next to the tax collector and he says, oh Lord, you know, I just thank you that I'm not like this other person next to me, you know, sinful, wretched person that he is, you know, thank you that I'm not like him. Well, you don't see any, is Daniel like that? No. When, when he prays confessing sin, he doesn't use the word they, and their sin, he uses the word we, our sin. He includes himself in the confession. Uh, he says, we have sinned, we have been wicked, uh, we have not listened, we have, and so on. Daniel confesses that he is a sinner. Now, he was a godly man. And uh, later on, uh, we'll see in the answer to this prayer when the angel Gabriel speaks to him, the angel Gabriel assures him that he is actually highly esteemed in heaven. How about that? But that is not because of his goodness. That is because of God's mercy and grace. Daniel confesses that he is guilty of sin. Now, what about us? Um, Indeed, what about you? Think about your own personal prayers. Uh, To what extent in your prayer times do you actually come clean with God about things that you've thought, said and done, of the attitudes of your heart, of sins that you actually ought to be sorry for? Uh, I find it hard to say sorry to people, let alone to God. But you see, he's a merciful God Uh, who loves us and it is appropriate for us to confess our sin to God. Um, Indeed, um, I mean, God knows our sin anyway, but as as we admit our sin to God in our prayers, that's actually the first step towards uh, dealing with that sin. It's like in a personal relationship when we're out of sorts with another person. You know, it's We find it hard to say sorry, but sometimes saying sorry to the other person is the first step towards repairing that relationship. So we need to be people who have a right understanding of ourselves in relation to God and 
can see that we are sinful people. We need to actually fess up to God about that in our prayers. That's what Daniel does. That's the nature of his prayer. Now, the second part of Daniel's prayer is from verses 11 through to 14. Because having adored God and having confessed his sin, Daniel now affirms that God's judgment in sending them into exile is actually the right thing to do. Um, Have a look at verse 14. Uh, He says, The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, I just want to ask you this. Have you ever heard um, people who say, um, I believe in the God of the New Testament, Um, you know, because he's kind, he's loving, he's not judgmental. But I don't believe in that God of the Old Testament because he's, you know, angry, he's vengeful, he's not just. Have you ever heard people say that? Yeah, some of you. Look, I've heard people in churches say it. I've heard people who consider themselves to be Christians and some people who consider themselves to be pillars of the church have kind of, uh, you know, they've taken the Bible and they've ripped out the whole of the Old Testament. They say, we don't like that God. You know, he's not a kind God. He's different to Jesus. Well, unlike Daniel, or rather unlike them, Daniel actually knows his Bible. Um, Have a look at verse 11. Daniel says that the judgments that they were experiencing were written where? Where where does he say they were written? In the the law of Moses. You see the same thing down in verse 13. The disaster that they were experiencing was written where? In the law of Moses. See, what this tells us is that Daniel, because he understood the scriptures, he was able to understand the exile. He was able to appreciate why they were going through what they were going through because he understood the scriptures. God gave the warning, the people ignored God, exile happened. And so Daniel knew in verse 14 that what God had done was right. Now the third part of his prayer is in verses 15 through to 19. And this is the kind of pointy end of the prayer. This is where having adored God, having confessed sin, having acknowledged that what God has done is right, Now he brings his request. I want you to think about this. If you were Daniel at this point in the prayer, what would you be asking? What would be your supplication, your, your request? Would you be saying to God, okay, God, you are holy, we are sinful, we know that what you've done is right, but also know that you're merciful and look, Please take us home. We've kind of had enough here. Would you? I reckon you might be saying that. I might be saying that myself. But not Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel's concern is actually for the honour of God's name. Have a look at verse 19. In verse 19 he says, O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For whose sake? For your sake, for your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. 
earlier on, a few verses up, uh, in he, he, he spoke to God about the fact that God created a name for himself when he brought the people out of Egypt in the Exodus. But now, when other nations would look at God's people Israel, what did they see? They saw a people in captivity. Uh, when the other nations looked at God's city, Jerusalem, what did they see? They saw a barren wasteland. When the other nations looked at the temple where God symbolically dwelt, what did they see? They saw a, a ruin. That's what they saw. And so for them, the God of Israel was an absolute joke. I mean, that's how they evaluated gods in those days. You know, if uh, one nation defeated another nation in war, it was obvious that their God was the stronger God. God of Israel was a joke. His name was being dragged through the mud. And so Daniel's concern is not primarily for himself or for his people. After all, to be honest, he was doing pretty well for himself in Babylon, wasn't he? And a lot of the Jews were. Uh, some of them actually chose to stay there rather than returning. And they became bankers. How about that? Right? That's true. They became bankers. Uh, his concern was not primarily for himself or for his people. His concern was for God and God's name and God's honour and glory. In verse 17, have a look at it. He says, For your sake look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Verse 18, See the desolation of the city that bears your name. Verse 19, he says, For your sake do this for us. He was concerned for the honour and glory of God. Now, I want to ask you this question, which is kind of like the stock standard question that preachers ask towards the end of a sermon on prayer. You don't have to be, as a preacher, you don't have to be very smart to think of this question. Uh, and the question is, how is your prayer life going? Right? You knew I was going to ask that question, didn't you? At some point uh, in, in the sermon. Now, look, it's not because I was out of questions to ask or thought I'd drag up that one. The reason is that the reality is that God wants each and every one of us to have an intimate, personal, deep uh, relationship with him expressed through prayer. That's what he wants for us. And it's in that regard that Daniel's prayer helps us. Now, next time, uh, in two Sundays' time, we'll have a look at the stunning answer to, God's, to Daniel's prayer. Um, but the reality is, as I said earlier, that if you're a normal Christian, then your prayer life will have its ups and its downs. And it's for all of those reasons that I mentioned, you know, too busy, too tired, uh, don't know what to pray about, life's too complex, um, and so on. Right? Daniel's prayer helps us because Daniel's prayer is based on Scripture. Um, and we see that the doctrines of Scripture just flow, um, are just woven through this prayer. The, the doctrine of God, uh, God's glory and man's sin, uh, the doctrines of judgment and mercy, the promise of God and a, a passion for God's glory, it is all here in this one prayer. Because Daniel knew his Bible, 
So guess what? You and I need to know our Bibles. We need to be people who are soaked in the Scriptures. Because as we soak ourselves in God's Word, we change. It has a powerful effect on us. As we soak ourselves in God's words, it means that God's thoughts become our thoughts. It means that the concerns that God has become the concerns that we have. And then that flows through into our prayers, into the types of things that we end up praying about. We pray for things which by ourselves we wouldn't have even dreamt of praying for, but are contained in the Word of God. And as you do that, over time, over the years, you'll find that there's plenty to pray for. But let's forget about years for a moment. Let's just talk about weeks. In fact, let's talk about this week ahead. What are we going to do in response to this um, passage from God's Word? Here's a suggestion. You can take it or leave it. It's up to you. It's just a suggestion. During this week, why not try praying through passages of Scripture? Now, um, you may be reading a particular book of the Bible at the moment. Um, if you're reading a particular book of the Bible at the moment, then after you've read the passage that you're reading through, then as you move to prayer why not use the actual passage you've just read uh, to shape and to frame your prayer as the basis for your prayer? Um, or uh, you might uh, choose to, uh, say, take some of the passages uh, from Scripture that are in fact prayers. Like, for example, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. Right? Or a couple of passages that I've printed for you on your outlines, one from Philippians chapter 1, one from Colossians chapter 1. And in those passages, Paul, uh, writing to the churches in Colossae and Philippi, he says, I want you guys to know that I've been praying for you and I want you to know what I've been praying for you. And uh, as he explains to them what he prays for them, then you've got to think, well, that would be a pretty good model for us to know what to pray for ourselves and for each other. So uh, what I'm suggesting here is that as you read through a passage of Scripture, uh, possibly one of those listed or whatever you're reading at the moment, ask questions of the passage that will then translate into prayer. So, for example, you might ask, what are the key truths about God and about what, who he is and how he has acted that are contained in this passage which I can now thank him for in my prayer. Right? Or you might uh, consider this. Are there areas of sin in my life that this passage has kind of like shone its light on and exposed in my heart uh, that maybe I was, wasn't aware of before or I was aware of kind of not done anything about it? Are there areas of sin in my life that are now exposed that I can now in my prayer confess before God and seek the, 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 uh, the, the power of his spirit 
to actually deal with that area of sin and change and to become more godly. Or um, ask the question, does this passage in any way teach me something uh, which will help me to know what to pray for other people? And surely, as Paul says to the Philippians and the Colossians, this is what I've been praying for you. Why not pray those prayers for other members of the congregation or your Bible study group and so on? Another question to ask is what promises are contained in this passage that I can now pray for the fulfilment of those promises? Like, for example, the second coming of Jesus. Good to pray for that, isn't it? So, there's just a few thoughts. But the bottom line here is that we need to be like Daniel. Uh, We need to to be people who allow the word of God to dwell in us richly so that we will know what to pray. And as we know what to pray, we'll be inspired to actually get down to the business of doing it and to be men and women of prayer. Let's pray now and uh, bring these matters to God. Father, we thank you for the great privilege that we as your children can speak to you in prayer. Father, uh, it is not something which we deserve. Uh, It is a gift that you have um, so lovingly given to us. Father, it grieves us that uh, we don't speak to you and relate to you in the way that we should and as much as we should. And we do pray that you would uh, forgive us for that and uh, that you would help us to be people who grow in our relationship with with you, that we would be people who uh, uh, make it a priority to spend time with you regularly as Daniel did. Father, we pray that um, we would be men and women of the word, that uh, we would uh, let the, uh, the word of God dwell in us richly, that we would read it and study it and meditate upon what you have to say, and that your word would uh, change our thinking, change our hearts, and inform our prayers. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.